Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. College football season is right around the corner. Welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. And now we're joined with Sarab Sharma. He is the president of American Moment and co-host of Moment of Truth. As the former chairman of the Young Conservatives of Texas and a nationally recognized activist, Sarab is a proven talent at organizing and inspiring young conservatives to impact public policy. He was born in Bangalore, India, and he is a proud naturalized citizen of the United States, and he has lived across the country from Lexington. Is that Lexington, Kentucky? That's right. Oh, man, I went to the University of Tennessee. I don't like Lexington. <laughs> now, to Seattle and to Austin and to Washington, D.C., where he now lives, he earned a degree in biochemistry from the University of Texas at Austin in 2019. He is the former chairman of the Young Conservatives of Texas, a 40-year-old state-based youth conservative organization where he served as the youngest state chairman since the founder and took the organization to new heights. In addition to his experience as a young conservative activist, Sarab has written for numerous news and opinion outlets, including The American Mind, American Greatness, The American Conservative, The Daily Caller, The Spectator U.S., National Review Online, The Daily Texan, and Texas Scorecard. He has also been awarded fellowships from the National Journalism Center, the Claremont Institute, and the Conservative Partnership Institute. In his free time, I don't know where he finds the free time, you can find him (laughs) writing with fountain pens, cooking, mixing drinks, and buying too many suits and trying to fly back to Texas. So, Rob, welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I tell you what, you, you know, you and I break the mold because, you know, as minorities, we're not supposed to be conservative. So what was the epiphany? What put you on this path to be such an astounding young conservative voice? It's a great question. Uh, I kind of had a very interesting experience growing up in the United States. I was born in India, but moved to the U.S. when I was very young and kind of lived in pretty sheltered suburbs. You know, we came to the U.S. We we're kind of lower middle class. By the time I graduated high school, we were you know upper middle class. You know, my my dad worked his way up and, you know, kind of a Porsche 500 company from engineer level to management level. That's that's kind of our story. And I think I would have been quite normal vis-a-vis many of my other Indian immigrant peers, that is to say, probably center-left liberal, if I hadn't had one complicating factor to my experience, or maybe two. One, I lived all over the United States. I had lived in blue cities, and I lived in red places. Uh, I lived everywhere from Los Angeles and Seattle to places like Dallas and Atlanta, and the, specifically the suburbs out there that are quite conservative. Uh, and But more importantly, for my 8th, ninth, and 10th grade, I actually went back to India, and I lived right outside the capital over there, and I saw what it's like to live in a country that doesn't really have a uh, 
rule of law. It doesn't really have the constitutional freedoms, doesn't have uh, the Judeo-Christian culture that we've come to appreciate in the United States. That uh, really radicalized me, to be entirely honest. Specifically, I would say issues of crime and corruption, where there's mm-hmm. just a ton of that in India. And so when I came back to the United States, I moved to Dallas, found myself loving Texas, loving Texans, and uh, loving everything about the world around me. And uh, it, it caused me to be a little bit more circumspect about what exactly it was that I was interested in. And so I would say I was always socially conservative instinctually. That's the way I was raised. And I came to realize that uh, conservative public policy has a role to play in that. And uh, and so when it came time to go to college, I went to the University of Texas, was planning on being a, a good Indian boy, going to being a doctor, getting a biochemistry degree. But uh, that was the 2015-16 election was my freshman year and uh, caught the bug for politics and the, the rest is history. Well, it's amazing. You know, you're such a strong conservative and the YCT, the Young Conservatives of Texas, is a historic, you know, long running organization here. I think the oldest young conservative organization in the state. But you're on a campus that is not really welcoming to conservatives, uh, even though it's in the state of Texas. And I've been down there and I've spoken to the conservatives there on the University of Texas campus. So what was it like, you know, being that leader in the young conservatives of Texas and being on a campus at the University of Texas where if they could squash you, they could oppress your voice and not give you this freedom of speech and expression, they would. It was really interesting, you know, I, I and, and I think it's particularly shameful what has happened at the University of Texas, given the opportunity that was before uh, the, the state government, right? You're talking about a state that for about 15 years has had supermajority control uh, of all three branches of Texas government. That is to say, the Republican Party and the conservative movement have had that control. And they really had an opportunity. You had a school that, because of the investment of generations past, had a massive amount of resources at its disposal uh, in an area of the country that doesn't have a lot of those legacy elite Ivy League institutions. The University of Texas at Austin could really be uh, the shining citadel of of what higher education is supposed to be for 10,000 miles in any direction if it chose to be that. Unfortunately, you have a Republican Party and a conservative movement in Texas that's been asleep at the wheel for a very long time. And so what did they do? They let this this cancer, this tumor grow right outside its, uh, right right there under its nose, uh, Mm -hmm. right right in the shadow of the Texas state capitol where these legislators meet for, you know, months and months every few years. And uh, they basically gave up on the great opportunity that they had afforded to them and let it become a tool of their own destruction. The University of Texas educates the young people from Texas who will go on to lead Texas, lead it in government, lead Mm -hmm. it in uh, the uh, public education sector, lead it in business, lead it in cultural institutions. And it's decided that it's all right that communists are uh, the uh, leadership of the university, that it has no uh, protections for, you know, normal conservative students from all over the state who come to to learn there because it's considered the most prestigious school. And so when I got there, it was quite a shock because I'd gotten used to a fairly conservative public school in in North Dallas suburbs where I uh, finished out high school. And then I came to UT and I realized, wait a second, that there's something going on here. This doesn't feel like Texas at all. And so it was a 2015-16 election and uh, everyone was kind of getting politically charged up. So I went to go find some like-minded people and did all sorts of crazy activism over my four years. Happy to talk about uh, some of that, but really realized that uh, it doesn't matter if you're 
in Texas's borders. There's entire swaths of the state where you feel like you're in a blue state. And that's ultimately because the state government has fallen asleep at the wheel. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I always tell people California used to be a red state. Mm-hmm. Or if you look at a place you lived up in Seattle, look at what Seattle is now and what Seattle used to be. Washington used to be a red state, but now basically because of King County, Seattle and Tacoma area, it dominates the rest of, of the state. And so, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And what I see happen in Atlanta, I, you know, two avowed socialists as senators from, you know, the state of my birth, how, how did that happen? Well, it happens because, as you just articulate, the left comes in, takes over the major urban population centers, as they did in Atlanta, in Macon, in Savannah, in Augusta, and in Columbus. And even with Columbus having Fort Benning there, a huge military base, they have overtaken that, that area. And I see it happening here in Texas. When you look at Dallas, when you look at Houston, you look at Austin, you look at San Antonio, look at El Paso— and that's also where you see the greatest amount of failure of progressive socialism and uh, you know the the, the Marxist status communist uh, philosophy and ideology. So why do you think that we have in red states governors and legislators who own the the, the pocketbook, the purse, and they still allow these state level institutions to go down the path of socialism, communism, and Marxism? I think it's because of a crisis of imagination on the right. Uh, Unfortunately, what happened over the last 20 to 30 years is the uh, rich conservative tradition that started to come about in the 60s, 70s, that was inspired by the American founding, that was inspired by the the rich culture um, that created the United States, it gave way to a vision of conservatism that basically was uh, blue America, but with lower taxes. That's all we had the ability to say on the right. The corporate types within the GOP, within the conservative movement, came around and said, oh, no, 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 those are cultural issues you guys are worried about. Don't worry about those. What really matters is low taxes, low regulation. Um, It it means a friendly business climate, which all may be fine things. I have no problem with those on their face. But what conservatives need to be circumspect and careful about is that if you create – a friendly environment for business without creating a friendly environment for conservative culture, what you're creating is the recipe of your own demise because you're allowing for the most powerful multinational corporations of the world to come in to hijack whatever territory you're talking about, be it a city, a county, or a state, and get their way. And so what happened is that Texas's leaders, they got complacent because they had these big margins because uh, Ordinary conservative voters were coming to the ballot box saying, well, I don't like what the left has to offer. I don't like their vision of, of anarchy. I don't like their their political vision. They seem to hate America. They seem to hate God. They seem to hate uh, family. They seem to hate uh, traditional values. So they would come to the ballot box. They'd try to vote against that. And Republicans would take their vote for granted. They would say, that's great. We're going to use this now to enrich ourselves, enrich our friends, and, and not really look after your interests. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you know conservatives are normal, decent, family-oriented people, they don't have necessarily the time or bandwidth to constantly think about politics, they would uh, you know, put up their hand and say, well, okay, I guess that's the best I can get. 
Unfortunately, it turns out that even playing that defensive posture where maybe Republican elected officials aren't actively creating the revolution that the left would, uh, eventually the culture catches up and the culture will make Republican elected officials just as left wing as their Democratic peers maybe five to seven years ago. That's the situation you see now with this, uh, you know, gay marriage bill that's being passed at the federal Mm -hmm. level, for instance, right? Is that uh, a a position that Barack Obama ran against in 2008? is now considered bigoted, homophobic by our own Republican elected officials. And so how does it yeah. how does the corruption of a of an institution like the University of Texas happens? It happens when that vision of Republican elected officials is just blue America but with lower taxes. So, yeah, the University of Texas, it actually has pretty low tuition. It's a nice place to go if you want a good affordable in-state education. But what's the substance? What's mm-hmm. the substance of the education that people are getting? I think that is the question that faces conservatives this decade is reckoning with the consequences of purely thinking in fiscal matters, purely thinking in terms of procedure, purely thinking in terms of process and ignoring substantive questions. No, you are so spot on because I never liked the compassionate conservative uh, moniker, because to me, what that was was big government spending republicanism. And that's exactly what we got. And so when I look at these blue states and we have the governors that are already talking about, look at this corporation that just moved here and look at the jobs that they're bringing. You know, we have people that are moving from a failed economic state, California, but they're coming here to Texas. And the interesting thing is that a lot of them are picking up and bringing an employment base. And we're not telling them don't replicate the political philosophy of the place that you're departing. Don't become locusts and come here and destroy the fertile grounds that we have. You know, Ronald Reagan had three basic points of conservatism. It was fiscal conservatism, national security, and social conservatism. And he talked about how all three of those were interwoven. But you have so many people in the Republican Party that are saying, don't talk about the social issues. Don't stay away from the, the family-oriented issues and things of this nature. When those are the things that undermine the basic fabric of this constitutional republic in this country. And, and I'll just give you a great example. There was a young man, uh, there was a West Point graduate, uh, Army First Lieutenant Spencer Rapone. And you can go and you can still Google it. And you will see that after he graduated, under his graduation uniform, he had a Che Guevara T-shirt. Well, the Army finally wised up and saw that here's an avowed Marxist and communist. Well, that's kind of antithetical to the oath that we take to support and defend the Constitution. So they booted him out. Well, guess where he is now? He's a, a, an instructor, a professor, whatever, at the University of Texas, Austin. Uh, uh, an avowed Marxist communist that was put out of the military because of his political views, and now they brought him to the University of Texas. So I guess my next question is, how do we make sure with your generation, and let's talk about what you do at the American moment, to educate them about this thing called federalism so that they realize that all of those enumerated, those powers that are enumerated to to the federal government if it's not there specifically, Article 1, Section 8, it reverts, it is reserved to the states and to the people. So how are you at America Moment helping young people to understand that right relationship between the federal governments, the states, and the individual? We'll be back after a quick break. 
Hi, I'm Kent Charnig, and I'm the founder of El Paso County, Colorado Progressive Veterans. Don't worry, we're not crazy tree huggers, but we do have an amazing podcast talking about nothing but the military and veterans. Please check us out, epccpv.org. Thank you. Talk to you soon. It's a great question. I'll start with the, the substance of what you just laid out on the question of federalism. Look, I'll say I am somewhat pessimistic about, uh, even among young conservatives, uh, the uh, value of federalism. And here's why. Um, what federalism has become for a lot of Republican elected officials over the last 10, 15 years has not been a principled stand by which they could fight the left and actually uh, create um, opportunities for, for real experiments in what conservative uh, governance looks like in the states. What it's become is an excuse. So what, how does it work, right? You'll, you'll get federal elected officials who will say, well, no, 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 we, we can't do that. Federalism entirely reasonable. Then you go to your state governments and they say, well, you know, I, I don't think we could do something about that either. Put whatever the problem is. Then you go down Meaning to the local the border. level. <laughs> you right, about exactly. The border. Then, you, then you go down at the local level and, and, and they're just as left-wing as well. And so, um, frankly, I don't blame the Republican base, the conservative base, when they sometimes look to national solutions to what are national problems in an era where it seems like state and local level Republicans don't have any answers to the problems they're facing. I'll tell you what, immigration should not be a state-level issue. It has to be right now in an era where the Biden administration's completely fallen asleep at the wheel. It has to be under basically any Republican president under Donald Trump because the Bushes certainly didn't care about securing our border. They live in very fancy gated neighborhoods. What do they care about the consequences that mass immigration has for um, our economy, for our national security, or for our culture? Um, so I, I, I do think that there is some nuance in this area to the federalism question. You know, in what my mind, uh, federalism means uh, is, uh, I think there's two definitions. What the corporate GOP would like you to believe federalism means is something like what Greg Abbott offers, right? Uh, Greg Abbott's version of federalism is come down to Texas where I'm going to wander around with an empty, rusty bucket asking you to put cash in there so that uh, you can come to my state. I'm going to give you billions of dollars in corporate welfare, and you're going to bring your entire workforce. We're going to vote blue or vote for moderate Republicans and make my, uh, you know, make the state worse. Whereas you look at what someone like Ron DeSantis is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis has said, Florida is not just blue America with lower taxes. This this place has an authentic conservative ethos to it that also carries over into public policy. I think there is no better issue of where maybe we need to start rethinking what exactly we mean when we say limited government or small government yes. than an issue like vaccine mandates, right? So the answer that a lot of the corporate GOP would like to have is, oh, small government. That means uh, we're not going to have a, a government based vaccine mandate. Okay, very good. But where I think this America First movement, this movement that looks a little bit more carefully at the issues would uh, uh, say another point would be, well, actually, it isn't fostering a culture of freedom to have employers mandating Mm -hmm. uh, vaccine mandates either. Uh, when all of Fortune 500 America uh, under the shareholder ownership of BlackRock, and Vanguard, and all these mm -hmm. big asset managers is operating in lockstep to uh, go after ordinary patriotic conservatives who can't ever speak out in their workplace, who are constantly being harassed by their HR departments. You know, someone like Ron DeSantis is saying, well, I'm going to fight for them in their private 
employment sphere as well, not just yes. in terms of what the government does. That is, I think, the kind of federalism I want to see. I want to see the kind of federalism where uh, conservatives use federalism as an excuse to go further in advancing the interests of the people who constantly come to the ballot box to vote GOP, um, to actively foster an environment that is not only going to harass them less than the Democrats does, but actually make life better for ordinary patriotic Christian conservative families. Um, that's what I think the model should be. That's the model that someone like Rod DeSantis is advancing. It's very different than the model that someone like Greg Abbott or Asa Hutchinson or Spencer Cox or some of these more moderate corporate friendly GOP types are doing. You're absolutely right. And this is my concern because everyone's saying that the Republicans can get the majority in the House and Senate. Okay, yay, you know, good stuff. But how are you gonna govern? What mm -hmm. type of philosophy of governance you're going to have? Because this is less about party. It's about really that, that relationship between the government and the individual, the institution of government and the rights and freedoms and liberties of the individual. And there are people on the Republican side that see government as being superior and superseding the individual. We've got to get that balance right. And so it is about having the right philosophical perspective, which leads to the right ideological and principled agenda and that is my concern. You know, we don't want to see where we just elect a lesser version of the other side. Mm. And I think that's what you're articulating. So in the final couple of minutes, tell us about the American majority. Tell us how people can follow you there. And what is your task and purpose? What's your focus? Sure. So American Moments, an organization that uh, we founded uh, last year, we publicly launched in February, and we were uh, motivated, motivated by, by one thing above all. Uh, when President Trump got elected in 2017, uh, when he took that oath of office, he did not have the people he needed to come with him into the federal government to implement the vision that he laid out, that America first vision, the vision that I said agree. we're being screwed on these trade deals. We need to, uh, you know, close down illegal immigration and take a serious look at legal immigration. And we need to end these endless wars. Those were, I think, the, the three key pillars and maybe add the willingness to fight the culture war, four key pillars. Um, but unfortunately, President Trump didn't have people he needed in order to implement that vision. Uh, that problem's not going away. Uh, Republicans since Reagan have been very, very bad at staffing their presidencies. Mm -hmm. They're very bad at staffing their congressional offices. They're very bad at staffing public policy organizations. Unfortunately, we, we, we don't have uh, an opportunity to make the same mistakes that the left does. Think about it. If you're someone who wants to do that kind of work on the left of center, you have a thousand places you can come yes. from and go to. You can go to Fortune 500 company C-suites. You can go to universities. You can go to foundations, both lefty foundations and also quote unquote nonpartisan civic institutions, which are really usually lefty institutions. You can go basically anywhere and you can certainly go into the career bureaucracy. And so when a President Biden gets elected, he has his pick of the litter. He can he he has you know hundreds of thousands of people clamoring over each other to join his administration. Meanwhile, on the right of center, we have fewer opportunities like that because our you know it's a lot harder to be a conservative in universities. It's a lot harder to be a conservative in in the career bureaucracy. It's a lot harder to be a conservative in Fortune 500 companies these days. And then meanwhile, the roles that we do have, you know, the congressional staff that every uh, congressman gets to have, the public policy organizations, some of the few centers of power we do have. Uh, they're filled by people who aren't that conservative at all. 
Yeah. A lot of conservative or Republican staff in places like D.C. could easily work for either party. They are not very convicted people. And so what our organization does is we identify, educate, and credential the people who will go on to staff the next president of the United States, that'll go on to staff congressional offices, and that'll go on to staff public policy organizations, really trying to find that cream of the crop who uh, are maybe going to eschew uh, you know, a private sector uh, lifestyle because they recognize that uh, you know, the, the fights this decade and maybe this century are going to be fought against the leftist administrative state that is seeking to take away the 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 you know foundations of, of government and liberty in this country. And in order to fight that bureaucracy, you have to understand that bureaucracy. We we uh, if we're going to decimate the administrative state, we need to understand how it works. And so we're trying to build up that talent pool of people who are going to do that. Well, you're absolutely right. And basically, what you're talking about is Sun Tzu and the art of war. We don't study. We don't understand the opposition. We just show up and we just end up getting swacked. And when I look at especially, you know, having served 22 years in the military, the reason why we have the type of senior military leadership that we have right now is because Barack Obama decimated the mm -hmm. senior military leadership. And he put in his cronies and no one was there to advise President Trump to clean house. And mm -hmm. so those same military leaders continued on. And uh, that's why I have big concerns about the direction that I see the secretary of defense office, the, the service secretaries and the senior level leadership. So any way that I can help and be an asset to you, because, you know, when I when I see young people like you, it just really it, I get enthused because <laughs> this is a relay race. And we have got to be able to pass that baton on to you all. And the baton represents that torch of liberty and freedom and individual rights, which is the foundation of the United States of America. So, uh, Saurabh Sharma, what's the website that people can go to to follow you at American Moment? AmericanMoment.org. And on all social platforms, we're usually ammoment.org. Uh, so we're on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, Getter. Um, we're all over the place. So you can, you can find us just about everywhere. Well, thank you so much for being here with us at the Steadfast and Law Podcast. And, you know, welcome to the Southeastern Conference. Uh, the University of Texas will be coming into the SEC. And so we look forward to maybe the day that my Tennessee volunteers, who are the reason why you have a state of Texas, will be playing uh, the University of Texas one day in the future. So you and I, we can link up and you'll have on your burnt orange and I'll have on my bright orange. And we can uh, enjoy a great football game. So thank you for all you're doing, Sarab. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for tuning in to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. A special thanks to our guest, Sarab Sharma of the American Moment. What a fantastic young man, and he should encourage each and every one of us when you think about his philosophical grounding and restoring constitutional conservatism here in the United States of America. Once again, if you like what you see, hit that like button and share us with your friends. Otherwise, good night, and we'll see you the next time on the Steadfast Law Podcast. Before they burn it down.